Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC may be taking its only week off for what seems like a couple of months, but we are not taking this same week off. Instead, we've got another jam-packed show for you guys. First, we'll be talking to Lauren Murphy and Juan Adams, who will both be fighting at UFC 247 in Houston, Texas. And then me and Shockwave Dave will be doing a fantasy matchmaker segment where we talk about some fights that we really wish would happen and the UFC might really wish would happen. So we're going to get to all of that just after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by Lambs. Visit GetLambs.com to check out their innovative line of radiation-proof clothing. How many hours a day do you spend on your phone? And how much time do you sit with your laptop in your lap? Now, let me tell you, for me, it's five plus hours a day because I do all this writing and interviews and podcasting. It takes a lot, but that's why I wear lamps. Their EMF blocking apparel makes it such that I don't have to worry about what radiation is doing to my most valuable assets, nor do I have to give up giving you guys the content that you love so much each and every week. Plus, on top of that, it's incredibly comfortable. It's literally the most comfortable underwear I own, so there's no reason for you not to go out and get you some. And there's even less of a reason to wait now because I have an exclusive promo code for you guys. When you buy from GetLambs.com, make sure you use promo code MMA for a nice discount on your whole order. GetLambs brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Greenland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Lauren Murphy, who fights Andrea Lee on UFC 247 on February 8th. So, Lauren, I, I know for your last fight that you moved camps, you headed to Texas, uh, you were doing some training at Gracie Barra in Katy. What led to that change, and are you still there now? Yeah, I actually train at a bunch of different gyms all over Houston. So um, my husband teaches at a Henzo Gracie out here. Uh, a couple of my old coaches uh, are like one of my coaches is a striking instructor at a Gracie Baja. And then I also work with Bob Perez over at Main Street Boxing and Muay Thai. So I, I have like three different gyms that I go to. And then uh, a couple, like, um, satellite gyms, even outside of those that I'll visit every once in a while or drop into or, or go train at if, the, you know, if, if, like, there's people there that I want to see or if there's something specific that I'm trying to do out there. So I love training in Houston. It's, it's really um, – it's the closest thing that's felt like home to me since I moved out of Alaska. I just – I love it out here a lot. So uh, we're super stoked to be here. So that's obviously a very different training regimen than you had before when you were over at the lab. You know, you had one place primarily that you trained. Here you got a whole bunch of different places. Are there any challenges to putting together a training camp that way? Uh, nope. I'm blessed to have really good coaches that work together super cohesively. So um, my two coaches besides my husband are Alex Cisne and Bob Perez. And they didn't know each other until I moved to Houston. I mean, they knew of each other. I think they maybe met at some fights once or twice, but they had never worked together. And so when I met Bob, I really wanted to work with him. And I told him, like, I have a coach named Alex, and he's, you know, he's been my coach a long time. And uh, I'm hoping you both can corner me. And so they started, um, like, working together, and they meet up. And even though they're from different gyms and 
you know, they have kind of different styles. They really respect one another and they listen to each other. They're really, really good in my corner. And so having the three cornermen that I have is just, it's a beautiful thing really like to watch them all work together because Alex will say something and Bob will listen to him and, you know, agree with him and then put his input in and Alex will respect his input. And then they turn and they listen to Joe about anything having to do with my wrestling or ground game. And um, I think mostly it just comes down to that those men really realize that they, uh, you know, that they can respect one another. Not a single one of them knows everything and they all know a lot about fighting. And so I, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it except that they just really respect one another and they work super cohesively together and they're, they're really invested in me. And um, I love cross training. I love training all over. I get a lot of different looks. I get to uh, have a lot of different goes with all different people. Um, one of my coaches is always present at one of my, at my training sessions. You know, I'm always with one coach or another, and they always look out for me. And they, you know, I'm always working towards a goal and, and improving. And I get to do it um, with a lot of different bodies. And I've met so many great people here. It's just, it's awesome. I really, really love training all over, and I feel like I get the best of everything. So. It's I it's oh, I just cannot tell you how happy I am to be in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome to hear. Now, I, I do got to ask, too, because, you know, it's your it was your first fight in that camp. You come out, you TKO uh, Mar Romero Barella for your first TKO win in, in almost th- or over three years. Rather, D- do you feel like the move to Texas had a lot to do with that? Or do you feel like, you know, you, you just had a good night in there? No, absolutely. Uh, I don't think I would have had that good of a performance anywhere else. Um, Like I said, I just click with these guys. They understand me. They really, really care about me. And, um, you know, when I was debating, you know, leaving, leaving the lab was a big deal for us. My husband was the GM there and I fought out of the lab for a long time, but um, I wasn't really having a lot of success there. I went two and four when I fought out of the lab. And uh, I think there's really something to be said about, you know, when you go in and you train with the same people day in and day out, um, I I love those people at the lab, but it's like, they all knew me. They all knew what I was going to do. You don't necessarily get to grow as fast as if you can kind of branch out and, and see other fighters and try your stuff with other bodies. Um, I love having the different perspectives from my coaches. I love having good striking coaches that I can trust and rely on. Um, I like having a game plan. It gives me like a really good direction to go in the fight. Uh, we work on specific stuff for the fight that I'm going to do in the fight. It just gives me a ton of confidence. And um, I think more than anything, having that confidence going into my fights now is, is one of the biggest game changers. You know, for a long time, I really felt like um, like I wasn't good enough to be where I was at. And that's not a good feeling to have when you're going into a fist fight. You know, that's like, uh, it's, in fact, it's one of the worst things that I think I think it's one of the biggest things that can hold a fighter back is not having the confidence that they can go in there and dominate. And, um, you know, looking back now, it's like, man, I've always been good enough to be here. I've always been tough. I've always been scrappy. I've always been strong. I've always really listened to my coaches, no matter who that coach is. And, uh, I think those are all skills of, you know, those are, those are all important skills for an athlete to have. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm super happy with my last performance and I'm even more excited to have, like an even better performance in my next fight. I know I've grown as a fighter. I know it's going to be a good fight. I'm going to put on a show for everybody. And uh, I just, I can't wait to go out there and do it. Honestly, I cannot wait to go perform. And and we're excited for that bout too. But I do have to ask, you know, it was six months removed from that bout with Barella. 
which you you seem to come out mostly unscathed. Did you, did you feel that you know you were on the shelf because of injuries, or were you on the shelf because just you were waiting for a fight? Oh, we were just waiting for a fight. I think the 125 roster is getting pretty deep, and there's a lot of really good fights going on in that division. It's super exciting to watch, and sometimes, uh, you know, the UFC just has to, has to um, like, you just have to wait your turn, you know, because there's a lot of good fighters in this division. That makes sense to me. Now, let's talk about one of those good fighters, because you've got an, a really exciting matchup coming up here with Andrea Lee. Uh, you know, obviously, you've seen her perform four times in the UFC. She's 3-1, and one, coming off a really close split decision loss to JoJo Calderwood. Uh, I, I know you're not the type here to, to talk smack, but could you tell us a little bit about how you feel about her as an opponent leading into this fight? She's super tough. Um, you know, she's she's not afraid to go in there and just give it her all. She's not afraid to fight. Uh, she doesn't, like, she doesn't break. She doesn't back down. I know she's going to be in really good shape for this fight. So she's going to, I'm expecting her to keep a super high pace. And um, she's gotten a fight of the night bonus before, and I know how addicting those can be. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really expecting her to, like, really go for it, you know. And that's the kind of fights that I want to be in, the funnest fights I've ever had in my life were when I got that fight of the night bonus uh, way back in 2016. That was, like, the most fun I've ever had in my life. And then when I fought Barb Honchak, it was a super exciting fight, and I thought I thought we might get fight of the night that night. But really, that's the stuff that, like, I live for. I want to be in fights like that. I want to be in firefights, and I want to hear the crowd screaming, and I want to go back into the locker room afterward knowing that we put on a really good show for everybody. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to that fight at UFC 247. Now, before I let you go, I do got to ask, because I am first and foremost an interviewer who's supposed to get some information out there, and I know that we're a little bit removed for it, but we recently saw some tweets, and, and I know you're not a smack talker, about the, the, the Roxanne Modafari-Macy Barber fight and subsequent interview. Uh, obviously, like I said, we're a little bit away from your original tweet, but first of all, how shocked were you that she wound up with the mic? And second of all, now that you've had some time to think about it too, what is your, your take on this whole ordeal? Oh, I, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, I guess, in the big scheme of things, but just in the moment, it was like everybody in the world, uh, well, almost everybody, not everybody, <laughs> but almost everybody was so happy for Roxanne and she did, she had such a great performance and she was such a big underdog. And then to go in there and not, not let her have her moment, like that's crazy that's just crazy and uh it was a shitty thing to do and i don't give a fuck who you are that's a shitty thing to do so um i don't know i've never been one to hold back i i say what i think and um i said what i meant and i meant what i said i think she looked like a spoiled brat when she was doing that and uh i don't know you know that being said like macy's tough okay i know she's a good fighter she fought with a torn acl that is badass but let roxanne have her damn moment she worked hard for that fight you know, it just, it's like, I, I don't know. That was just crazy to me. So all of us, our jaws just dropped open. Like we just, our mouths were like open, jaws on the floor. Like, what is she doing? You know? And then everybody just kind of started laughing like, oh my God, what an idiot. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we can end it on a laugh here because, uh, you know, I, I, we're excited to hear you fight. We're excited to hear about your journey and uh, we're, we're looking forward to this one. Once again, fans, this was Lauren Murphy who fights Andrea Lee at UFC 247 on February 8th. Lauren, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Juan Adams, who fights Justin Tapa at UFC 247 on February 8th. So, Juan, I, I got to ask right off the bat. I know that it's all over your social media, but you moved gyms to Jackson Wink. What went into making that decision in, in the long run? You know, um, it, it's really crazy. I... I was so intense for the longest of my career of, of doing things my way, you know, um, and I had all these things, you know, I, I made it to the UFC in record time. I was doing this that, and the other, and I thought I had all the answers. Well, you know, after one, you know, controversial call or they say I got robbed or whatever, I wasn't really interested in moving after my last fight. You know, I kind of took it as a sign you know, things needed to change. Whatever I was doing wasn't working. So I've been in communication with the coaches from Jackson Wink, and they've been in communication with my manager for a while. And I finally decided to make the move. Um, it was uh, it was for me more about <clears> – sorry, I've been uh, a little sick. But um, for me, it, it was less about really necessarily – where I went, it was somewhere I just had to go and be all in and really, you know, buy in 100% to the process, uh, go somewhere away from home where there's no distractions, man. I, I, you know, when when you're fighting in your hometown and training in your hometown, pretty much every day somebody wants to, to meet you, wants to do something. You, you know, I've got family members wanting me to meet their friends and stuff because, you know, they're related to a UFC fighter and their friends want to meet one. And out here, I don't have to deal with any of that, man. I, I wake up, I live in the gym, you know, I, I wake up, I go train, I come take a nap. I go back, I train again, I eat. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm just here. I think since I've been here, I've been out here a little over two months. I've gone out twice. You know, I go get coffee every day and I come back here. That's it. Wow, that, that seems like a huge lifestyle change. And it sounds more to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is more of a mental change than any physical change you're seeing. Does, does that seem accurate? Very accurate, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy again, you know. I'm, I'm happy to train. You know, back home, I didn't really have the bodies. I wasn't surrounded by people that were full-time fighters. Yeah, there were other pros, but they all were doing other stuff, and I had to adjust my schedule to train with them. And... I was going into sparring or training sessions with the idea that I had to be physically exhausted beforehand to get anything out of the session. Whereas here it's completely different. It's the opposite. I have to be sharp every session or somebody's going to catch me with something. That, that makes a lot of sense now. And I, I assume because of that type of training too, you are also seeing large physical differences in your training. Is there something that sticks out to you as being maybe the biggest physical difference since you moved to Jackson Wink? Uh, you know, honestly, my body composition changed pretty quickly. Um, I, I, I slimmed up. My weight really started dropping the last couple of weeks um, with the cut and everything from trifecta systems. Uh, they've been doing handling my nutrition for the last two and a half, three months. So, the, uh, yeah, the, the biggest physical change I noticed is, is my cardio health is, is, has gone way up. Um, you know, I'm not getting tired as easily. I'm moving a lot more. Uh, you know, my stance is different. Every, everything is just so different out here. Um, you know, it's at, it's at a much higher elevation, so I'm getting the benefits of that. And, um, 
Yeah, so, you know, physically, I, I just feel a lot leaner right now. I, I haven't lifted weights at all, really, this fight camp. I've been doing a lot of training. I've been lifting uh, people a lot. You know, I've got a lot of heavy weights to train with, so I lift them. But I'm not out there, you know, having to do a bunch of squats, power cleans, and, and all that. You know, we do sprints and stuff. We do buddy carries. We, we do that aspect of training. But I haven't been uh, – I haven't been having to lift to get the weight off right now. So that, that's interesting to me. And I, I know you're a guy who, who is time to time had to cut down to the heavyweight limit. Are, are you slimming up to the point now where you're not going to have to do a huge cut come fight week? No, um, you know, my, my cut's going to be the same as it usually is. Um, I'm walking around at I'm waking up at, uh, at about 284 right now. Um, that's obviously that number has been dropping. Um, I was chilling on hovering around 292 for the longest. Uh, now I'm hovering uh, around 283, 284. I'm hoping by the end of this week I'll be at 280. And then whatever I land at is where we're going to do our water cut from. But I'm hoping to only have to cut 10 to 15 pounds this time. That, that's exciting. Now, last time I talked to you, we talked pretty extensively about your love for Little Debbie snacks, too. I, I got to ask, is it 100% lay off that if you're on the trifecta nutrition plan? Yeah, man, it's been a rough 12 weeks for me. Um, a very rough, it's been a rough camp. I haven't had the little Debbies. I think, uh, for my birthday, I had a cupcake. Um, <laughs> that was about it, but I can't wait. You know, as soon as the fight's over, I will be having little Debbies. I'll be in Houston for a week, and that week I can kind of just, like, I can't get too big, obviously, because I'm coming back here to help some guys with their fights, but. I'm definitely going to indulge a little bit, uh, and I can't wait. Taco Bell and Little Debbie's, here I come. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear it. Now, let's talk about the fight itself, too, because the training's interesting, but the fight is what we all came for. You're fighting another big puncher here in Justin Toppin. The guy, you know, being billed as like, sort of like a Mark Hunt 2.0. What can we expect to see in the way that you approach a fighter who does punch like that now that you're with Jackson Wayne? Uh, you know, at, at heavyweight, everybody can knock you out. You know, um, you know, I I obviously can can take a hit. I've never been knocked out before. Um, I've been TKO'd. I've never been knocked out. Um, I've never had a concussion. I've never even been rocked at uh, at practice. So, uh, it's it's gonna be it'll it'll be a new approach for me. I'm obviously looking to avoid that. Uh, he can, you know, he can knock you out with either hand. But I have a seven-inch reach advantage, you know, and I I hit pretty hard myself. So it's uh it's gonna be a fast-paced fight. Uh, it's gonna be exciting for sure. And um, you know, I'm not gonna be trying to avoid them the whole time. I I'm gonna engage, but I'm not gonna engage recklessly. So you're gonna see a much cleaner version of me. Um, you know, I will be utilizing a lot more tools. I'll be you know, utilizing more than just a jab this time. I'm finally throwing my right hand with confidence. So I'm looking to really show that I, I've become much more of a complete fighter now. Well, and I'm really interested in exactly what that looks like. So I'm going to ask you here as we end the interview for a quick prediction. Now, you obviously are, are unveiling a whole new uh, Juan Adams for us. So what exactly does that look like on February 8th? And how do you see this fight ending? You know, honestly, first round, I see it being very high-paced. Uh, neither of us taking a whole lot of risk, but I know once I touch him, it's going to change him a little bit. And then in the second round, I feel like he's going to be completely gassed, and I'm uh, going to rock him 
and then once I rock him, it's it's he's either gonna go out on the feet, the ref's gonna stop it on the feet, or once he goes down, they're gonna have to pull me off of him. You know, the same. So I always fight. Uh, I really see it ending. You know, kind of like my first five fights, my first five pro fights when just me really overwhelming him. Um, you know, I obviously respect him, respect his power, and anything can happen. But I see myself with a TKO or or knockout in the second round. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Juan Adams fights Justin Tapa at UFC 247 on February 8th. Juan, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. No problem, brother. You have a good one. And those interviews with Lauren Murphy and Juan Adams are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. Look, they've got 35 different martial arts that you can log your training sessions for. You set up a profile and then you can leave notes, you can leave comments for friends, and they tell you week to week, month to month, whether you're training more, training less, and meeting your goals. They've also got great places for weigh-ins, competitions, seminars, no matter what you're doing, this is the best way to track how you're doing in that martial art. So head on over, Maroon Social, wherever you get your apps. Now, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, joined as always by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, two new training situations there in those interviews, one with Murphy and one with Juan Adams. Which one do you want to start talking about first? Yeah, really interesting training strategies from both our guests this week. The Lauren Murphy route of having multiple head coaches, this is very interesting to me, Gumby, because we know this is a copycat league. We know she looked great in her last performance. If this becomes kind of like the wave of the future, almost like a collective head coach or you look at like groupthink or blockchain technology, uh, it's multiple people coming up with a problem or with a solution to a problem. That seems like it has a lot of potential to me as long as all egos could be in check. Yeah, and, and it seems like, too, with the the way she's talking about it, the egos seem to be in check, right? Like, she's got three people who all have her best interest in mind. And really, you know, I, I think that that's a beautiful thing, uh, especially because, like you said, she, she picked up a TKO finish in her last outing with that, that knee, which was, you know, absolutely devastating. So it, it's good to see her on the right side of things, and it's good to see uh, that that situation seems to be working. It's... Speaking of situations, uh, we are going to head on to our next segment, which is a slightly different segment than the ones that we usually do. We are going to be playing Fantasy Matchmaker, but we're not just going to do it like everybody else does it, where we tell you all of the different matchups from maybe a recent card that we'd like to see newly matched up, or we're not going to tell you who we want to see all the champions fight. Instead, we're going to boil it down to just three fights each. We're going to tell you one fight that we think the UFC absolutely positively needs to make for the health of whatever division it's in we're going to tell you one fight that we would really like to see that we think the ufc might totally get on board with and then we're going to tell you one fight that we really really badly want to see and we just know the ufc will positively never make it but before we get to any of that dave i do have to ask you is this fantasy matchmaker segment brought to us by anybody of course, Fantasy Matchmaker segment uh, this week is brought to you by the Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational. If you are a fan of grappling, if you're a grappling nerd, such as myself or Gumby, you're going to want to keep your eyes on the Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational taking place this Saturday, February 1st, in the uh, upstate New York town of Poughkeepsie, New York. The event's going to start at 6 p.m., 
there is an eight-man, 170-pound bracket with some high-level grapplers involved. Nick Ronan of the Danaher Death Squad. Aaron Harris, who has not lost in competition in years. He is a heel hook ninja. And this is a name you're going to want to get in your head if you're in the grappling world. Aaron Harris, he's going to be competing in the eight-man, 170-pound bracket. Winner goes home with a cool $1,000. Look up Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Try to follow the event, and if you're in the area, go get tickets. This is going to be a great night for grappling, and it's going to kick off a tradition in grappling, the Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational. It's not going to be a one-and-done event. This is a new event in the grappling space. Heel hooks are legal in a gi. Everything's legal. No holds barred. This is not your mama's grappling event. The Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational brings you our Fantasy Matchmaker segment. Absolutely. You're going to want to make sure you're checking that out if you're anywhere near Poughkeepsie, New York this weekend. Now, uh, we're going to start by talking about that one fight that we feel the UFC badly needs in order to make sure their division is healthy. Dave, I'm going to throw it over to you for our very first pick. All right, so we're not starting with anything controversial here. I think, and not I'm not even going on the health of the division, though I think it's the smart match to make. Uh, and it's one that just brings a lot of warmth and happiness to my heart. I think at 155 pounds, win or lose, Tony Ferguson, after he is done with Habib Nurmagomedov, whether he be champion or a formal, former title challenger at that point, Tony Ferguson needs to fight Justin Gaethje. It's a match that I think fans would buzz about. They're two high-activity, highly explosive, highly fun fighters, never in a boring fight. So whether Ferguson is the champion and Gaethje is then the challenger, or if Ferguson loses and Habib goes on to the Connor Big Money rematch, I need to see Ferguson versus Gaethje. I'm curious what you think of that fight, and I'm curious what your fight is. I, I absolutely love that fight, and I, I love it for so many reasons, especially because everybody seems to be, like, fantasy matchmaking Habib all the time and forgetting, A, Tony could win this fight, and then Tony would have to defend his title, uh, and B, like, what do we do with Tony after this fight anyway? So I love that fight. I actually went with another person, actually two people, who are former 155ers, and, and I think the UFC, for the health of both the division and for the health of uh, maybe the pay-per-view model in general, I'm going to take Conor McGregor versus Jorge Masvidal. Whether or not you think Jorge Masvidal should be fighting for the title or not, I 100% think pairing up up with Conor McGregor is the last big chance to make tons of money off of Jorge Masvidal. Because if you put Jorge Masvidal in there against Kamara Usman and Usman destroys him, your money train is gone on Jorge Masvidal and you wasted it on a fight with Kamar Usman, who I don't even think Kamar Usman versus Jorge Masvidal is a big money fight. Uh, and meanwhile, like, you know, you have the Conor McGregor, you know, money maker that you could pair with just about anybody and get good play out of it. But you pair him with Nate Diaz, you can, pick, you can make that matchup any day of the week, right? You can make that match three years from now with, with Nate on an eight-fight losing streak and Conor on an eight-fight winning streak, and it still sells like hotcakes. So why rush to make that fight now? Why pair Conor with somebody else who's, you know, you know we're not that excited about seeing him fight Habib for the second time because we feel like we know how that one ends. We don't know how Habib or how Conor versus Jorge Masvidal ends. I think both of them are phenomenal trash talkers. I think the UFC could really use that one. Now, uh, now that we got that one out of the way, let's now talk about the fight that you really want, Dave, that would absolutely positively 
happen if the UFC thought about it. All right, so this is not the no possible, no chance in hell. This is actually a possible match, just so we're on the same page. That's correct. It could happen. That's right. The, the UFC maybe hasn't made this match yet, but it's one you really want, and it's completely logical. All right, so it's completely doable, and it's somewhat logical, but when I say it, I think it might blow your mind, and hopefully it blows the fans' minds in a positive way as well. We have talked so much about dominant champions, moving up divisions, moving down divisions. We never got that GSP Anderson Silva super fight. And I think that still haunts some MMA fans to this day, which is why I think everyone's very quick to want to see Ida Sonya, who kind of feels a little bit like a modern Anderson Silva in a lot of ways, as far as being the 185, you know, dominant player right now and, and his striking ability being just so far levels ahead of everyone else. So people talk about Idesanya versus Jones, and it's a logical thing because Idesanya, you know, is, is obviously a big guy, and he could go to 205 easily. They're already trash talking each other. It makes a lot of sense. But here comes my swerve, bro. I don't want to see Idesanya versus Jones just yet. I think Idesanya needs to, you know, clear out the middleweight division, as they say, defend the belt a couple of times. We have danced around the subject of Jones going up to heavyweight so many times, and you want to talk about a champion that has, quote-unquote, cleaned out the division? John Jones has cleaned out the division three times and then some. There have been multiple iterations of the 205 division, and he has cleared it out multiple times. So we want to see him go to heavyweight. Okay, so what do you want to say? You want to see him versus DC at heavyweight for the third time? Nah, I'm good. We want to see him versus Stipe, who is you know, by the record books, the most dominant heavyweight champion of all times. Yeah, not a bad fight, but I get the feeling that Stipe has one foot out the game. Here's my mind blower, Gumby. Longest setup ever to a match. I want to see John Jones versus Francis Nagano. Boom. Mic drop. Yeah, I absolutely love that fight. I, I kind of knew you were going to say it when you started talking about John Jones. I was like, he's not going to say DC3. DC3 is boring to me. D- dude, I love the idea of having those two fights especially because, like, Naganu, after getting beaten and, like, his wrestling shown up a little bit, I think it's gotten so much better, right? He stuffed Cain Velasquez. He stuffed uh, Curtis Blades the second time they fought. Like, his wrestling has clearly gotten better since the Stipe fight. I also think it gives us sort of a fresh take on some of the, those heavyweight matchups, and I think John Jones moving up to heavyweight would really do wonders for that, you know, sort of stale division at this point in time. Um, for mine, I'm just going to take a very simple title fight that I think is is definitely needs to happen. I want Alexander Volkanovsky versus Chan Sung Jung. I want the Korean zombie in there against Alexander Volkanovsky. The reason I really want that fight is because I think that, first of all, Volkanovsky shouldn't just rematch Max. I thought he tooled on him. I thought he looked really great. And the second reason is that Volkanovsky, to me, is one of the most perfect game planners MMA has right now. And I think that Chan Sung Jung is a difficult person to prepare for, right? Chan Sung Jung, you don't, it's not like straightforward. It's not like he's a guy you put up against the cage. He's a guy you take down. He's a guy you make strike from distance. He does all of that stuff really well. He gets off the cage well. He's got a fucking twister finish for God's sakes. You know, like he just knocked out Frankie Edgar real easy. So like the dude has got skills everywhere. I'm not quite sure how you how you game plan, except for maybe throw the craziest 612 elbow of all time uh, for Chan Sung Jung. But I, I would like to see how Alexander Volkanovsky deals with it, and that's why I really love that fight. 
And that brings us to our very last matchmaking segment, the one that you absolutely positively would love to see. You think it was super interesting, but you know deep down in your heart of hearts, the UFC ain't ever going to do it. Dave, what do you got for the UFC ain't ever going to do it? All right. I actually, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I think the UFC would do it. And I think it's possible. And I think it makes sense. But logic dictates that the two principles involved would not do it. For me, I need to see before he retires. uh, We believe that could be maybe as two, maybe three more fights left if rumors are to be believed. He has cleaned out the 155 division if he gets past Tony. That's kind of been the dream matchup for all these years at this point. If he gets past Tony, I don't even necessarily need to see him against Justin Gaethje. I need to see Habib, who probably is more of a natural 170-er, against Kamaru Usman. They have similar styles. It would be wrestling versus wrestling, dominant wrestling versus dominant wrestling, adequate striking. The problem is, if you want to call it a problem, They share the same manager. They seem friendly. I don't think either of them particularly want the fight, nor do they think it's like a money fight for the other one. But from a stylistic perspective, I need to see, it would answer huge questions for me, Habib versus Usman. Now, if you want to say that's a possible fight and money talks and they put aside the fact that they have the same agent and maybe their agent says, no, this is great for both of you guys, and they do it, I will do a... Uh, honorable mention, and that would be GSP coming back against one of those two guys. I would love to see GSP one last fight, even though he's going to be older, a step slower, versus Usman or GSP versus Habib, just because of that dominant wrestling pedigree that all three of those men possess. Yeah, I think your first pick is actually the least likely of all of those. I, I think they're never going to put that aside. I even think Kamar Usman has come out and said that he isn't looking to go up or down a division because he respects Habib and he respects Israel Adesanya. So, like, yeah, I, I don't think that fight's going to get made. Now, I'm going to risk with my pick here, sounding like a super Connor fanboy, because I'm going to pick another Connor McGregor fight. Uh, but him coming back has got me all kinds of excited, especially with the 170 division. I want to see... Conor McGregor in the 170-pound division, more than anything in the whole world, any fight that you can make in that division, I want to see him fight Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, I think the stand-up matchup is so intriguing. Conor rushes forward. Conor pushes forward. Conor pushes a pace. And Wonderboy is known for his countering. I I think it's such an exciting matchup. It's such a weird stylistic matchup, even though they both love to strike. And I think with their, like, long karate stances and the difference in aggression, it's such a question mark to me on what could possibly happen. With that being said, you know, what I said before about that Masvidal versus Conor fight, it's super exciting for a reason, right? Like, it's super exciting because Masvidal's going to run his mouth. Conor's going to run his mouth. We got to get that Conor payday out while we still can. There's no counter payday in fighting Wonderboy Thompson, right? Like, it's exciting from a matchmaking standpoint and what's going to happen in the cage. But let's be honest. Are are you paying to watch the smack talk lead up of Wonderboy Thompson versus Conor McGregor? I can't imagine that that happens. But that being said, that's the fight I want to see. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of our fantasy matchmaker segment. If you like our picks or if you hate our picks, heck, maybe you like our picks, but you just think your picks are better. Head on over to Twitter at Top Turtle MMA and let us know about it. 
And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank our sponsors for keeping the lights on in Top Turtle Studio, Maroon Social, and GitLambs. Visit GitLambs.com using promo code MMA. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. We could not do what we do without them. And we couldn't do what we do without you, the fans, as well. So thank you guys for tuning in each and every week. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you next week.